Welcome to the Doxology Podcast. I'm Lucas Stock. And I'm Jens Nelson. This is a podcast dedicated to journeying together on the road that is the Christian faith. Join us as we discuss and investigate theology and the Christian life, striving for unity amongst our diversity as members of Christ's church. Well, good evening, good morning, good afternoon, good night. Um, we, this is something that we've, I, I don't feel like we've talked about this much, but I remember you tweeted something like, feels like months ago. Mm. Um, maybe it wasn't that long ago. I don't, I don't even remember. Um, but so it's been in my head for a while and we're finally getting around to it. Um, as you probably can see from the title, uh, we are talking about one of the homilies from St. Basil the Great, Basil Basil the Great, um, <laughs> in the, I'm going to say Basil because yeah, I just, let's go with it, Basil. It's Basil. I know it's Basil, but, but I can't, I don't know why I just, I always say Basil. So um, St. Basil the Great, uh, he has a, or, or St. Vladimir Seminary Press in their popular patristic series, number 38, has a volume called On Social Justice, which is a triggered. collection of- Triggered, I'm triggered, Lucas. Five, <laughs> good, had a collection of, not five, four homilies, and then um, a fifth homily that's probably not actually written by Basil, but uh, whatever. Still very good. Introduction. Um, good stuff, but um, definitely- um, a collection that is well worth the price of admission because it's not very expensive and it's also really short. It's yeah, it's like 108 pages, it looks like, and the introduction goes until page 39. Yeah, like, so like, it's a good chunk you, of the book. These aren't very long homilies. Um, you shouldn't skip the introduction because um, all of the popular patristic intros do a really good job of, of, of introducing the, the background to whatever book that or work or collection that they're translating. So I would, would highly recommend if you do pick this up, not to skip the introduction, it's really good. But what's, you know, it's amazing how much is packed into these short homilies. You know, it, it didn't didn't take me very long to, to read this. I know you've read it a couple times, right? Like all Twice, the way through. Yeah. Um, and it's, like, like I said, it's a collection of, of, of sermons. They're not long. It's not, they're not hard to read. Like the translation is very readable. Um, the ideas are, are certainly very, um, I'll say understandable. Um, at least that's, that's what I, how I felt. Yeah, no, um, agreed. Yeah. I mean, it's hard to read if you yeah. like, if you, I mean, as far as like a conviction standpoint, like as far as the, the content uh, as it strikes to your to your heart and mind, but uh, it's not difficult to read. It's not like a old archaic English or something. Yeah, it is a it is a, like every one that I've purchased. It is an excellent volume, um, not sponsored, but highly recommend you check out Saint Vladimir Seminary Press. But what we wanted to talk about, well, we wanted to talk about this book. We both, like we said, we both read it. Um, we both have been. Um, definitely impacted by it, I guess. I don't, I don't know how much practically it's, it's really impacted me at this stage in my life, um, which is a commentary and a statement on, on me and my soul, not on this, the content of these sermons. But um, it, is, it, is, it is a very impactful read, even mm. if, even just on a first read through, um, even if you're reading relatively quickly or not really necessarily expecting, you know, not, not approaching it with a very like, slow kind of approach but it certainly warrants it and so we wanted to do an episode 
but uh, in in figuring out the best way to sort of introduce this this collection, introduce the ideas that are broached here, we figured we would we would take one of the four homilies, four parentheses five homilies, and kind of just uh, do an episode dedicated to that one to kind of be able to go into a little more detail than if we were trying to cover all five of them. Um, and then also not spoil everything to encourage more people to go pick up the book and read it because it's like I've already said, uh, well worth your while. So we're yeah, going to be I mean, talking about, oh yeah, yeah. No, I was going to say, I, I, I literally think that every Christian needs to read this book. Like it's not even an option. I feel like this is one of those books that I walked away with a completely different perspective on exactly what the book is about. I mean, it, it is a collection of short sermons, but they're all, they all have like a theme. It's, it's centered around justice. And I know the title in our modern context might be, I, I joked saying that I was triggered, but uh, it is a title that if you don't know Basil, if you don't know what this book is, you might be like, well, I would never pick up a book like that, depending on, you know, your demeanor or whatever, or it might just seem like a, um, you know, a quick cash grab or something, but it is far from that. Um, when he talks about social just social justice, he's truly talking about um, the rich, the poor. He's talking about, um, you know, how those two should interact. I don't know. We'll, we'll get into it. You'll see at least what one of the homilies is about. So that's just kind of what I wanted to say. I feel like every Christian needs to read this to, to get a better perspective on um, how we should live in the world. Yeah. And the best or probably not the best, but the way we chose to do it was to focus in on one homily in particular, which is titled in this collection, I Will Tear Down My Barns. It is a homily on a, a fair, maybe not the most familiar, but a, a fairly familiar parable from Luke chapter 12. And like like John's mentioned, one of the, the big themes in these uh, sermons is the theme of rich and poor and the responsibility to steward your resources and what that ought to look like and should look like for for the Christian. Um, obviously, this is this is a sermon. It's directed at a Christian audience, and um, he's he's using this parable to explore, as we'll see, the um, kind of comparing and contrasting a righteous and an unrighteous, a Christian and an unChristian way of looking at and um, approaching and handling your wealth, your material wealth, your material resources, um, money, food, clothes. I think, I think he mentions a couple others, but those are kind of, you know, the big ones. And, and it's, it's, I, I think what we'll see, and we won't, we won't dilly dally too much more, but I think what we'll see is, is, and even on, even on the, the back of the book, um, just how, how uh, relevant these sermons are and how relevant these ideas are, even though we're living in a world that is vastly different in terms of what resources look like, what mm -hmm. wealth looks like in our world, in the digital information age, in an in, in industrialized global economy. It's, it's radically different than the agrarian, um, you know, Cappadocian economy of, of, Basil's, you know, context, but the 300s um, AD. I mean, if you don't know, we haven't said that. We're talking about someone living in yeah. the 300s AD. Exactly. It's uh, it's a it's a totally different world, but um, 
maybe unsurprisingly, maybe surprisingly, the the biblical uh, injunctions, the biblical mandates that Basil is drawing out um, apply almost, maybe we could get into debates about this, I don't know, but almost exactly the same yeah. now as they did all that time ago. So um, that that's, that's kind of um, what makes it so impactful, as we both mentioned, um, how, how strong of an impression these sermons leave. Part of it is just the, just the, the, you know, I, I, I think these are incredibly valuable <laughs> sermons, but, but also what, what makes them so um, immediately and obviously applicable is how practically relevant they feel, even though they are practical sermons written to a totally different people in a totally different context very long time ago, which is just an interesting thing that you, that, that I don't think we see every, every day, even people like us who are interested in, in, um, you know, historical figures, historical events and historical ideas, and who believe that those ideas are relevant. Um, not all of them feel as obviously relevant as uh, some of the things that Basil's talking about. So right. I think we've hyped it up enough. Um, so I think we should we should probably start by reading the the, the passage that Basil's preaching on. Um, I didn't, I didn't, we didn't really plan this out well. Do you want to go ahead and read it? Sure, yeah. Um, so this is Luke 12, 16 through 21. Uh, it says, The land of a rich man produced abundantly, and he thought to himself, What should I do? For I have no place to store my crops. Then he said, I will do this. I will pull down my barns and build larger ones, and there I will store all my grain and my goods. I will say to my soul, Soul, you have ample goods laid up for many years. Relax, eat drink be merry but god said to him you fool this very night your life is being demanded of you and the things you have prepared whose will they be so it is with those who store up treasures for themselves but are not rich toward god again luke 12 16 through 21 awesome so what we're going to do to kind of like walk through this sermon without you know missing any any of the sections is we're going to basically go by the the sections that are numbered out in this edition and kind of summarize what each of these sections is like the main point of it um by by basically just drawing out quotes that that come from these sections so the 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 point of this is is not to preach the whole sermon the point of this is to try and track the basic outline of of what basil's main point is so he starts off in the first section, um, he has this quote, for it is equally difficult to preserve one's soul from despair in hard times and to prevent it becoming arrogant in prosperous circumstances. So he's got these two, you know, different seasons of life, you know, hard times and prosperous circumstances. And he's saying that just like it's easy to become dis despairing when things are hard and he compares or not compares, but he reminds us of Job and the experience that Job had, um, which are certainly very familiar. We all kind of know what was going on with Job. Um, and he, he says that it's just as easy to become arrogant when you're in good times, when you're in prosperous circumstances, as it is for someone like Job to become depressed and despairing. And that's sort of his, his starting point. So his starting point is these, these, the, the, two, the two opposite sides of the life experience, um, 
and we all experience both of these poles to some extent, but obviously some people um, are more obviously prosperous and more people, other people are more obviously living through hard times, um, whether that's poverty as, as this sermon will focus on or other things. Um, and he's saying, which is, I think is a, is a helpful warning, um, obviously. And, and it's not something that, that is probably, it's probably not new to very many people, but, um, it is, I think, extremely helpful to be reminded of how those things really are kind of mirror images of it, of, of each other, as far as our sinful fallen souls responses to the circumstances around us. Um, we, we tend not to respond with gratitude whether we're talking about temptations and struggles and hardship that we're persevering through and overcoming, or if we're talking about times of relative ease where we have plenty of resources and we have um, all our needs taken care of and maybe even get to live in some luxury and stuff. And rather than be grateful, there's this tendency to both despair and arrogance, as he, as Basil says, that, that I think is just very obviously true. I think if anybody reflects, I know for me, reflecting on my life. Honestly, that's, that's very clearly true of me <laughs> that um, my immediate response seems to be despair or arrogance rather than gratitude or trust in, in either case. Right. Um, so that's how he starts. Um, that, that's sort of the, the main, the main departure point that, that he brings. Um, and it's helpful to keep that in mind, both in terms of the parable and then also the, the points that he's drawing out. Um, and then in the, in the second point, he starts to, to sort of talk a little bit more towards the people that we might call the rich, the people who are in the prosperous circumstances. And he says, consider yourself who you are, what resources you have been entrusted to you, from whom you received them, and why you received more than others. And then he kind of answers that. You have been made a minister of God's goodness, a steward of your fellow servants. So as we'll see, like he he really doesn't pull punches, especially towards the, the last couple sections of um, this homily. He he's not um, he's not sugarcoating anything, and he's not afraid to be very challenging and and to really kind of attack the temptations of of greed and selfishness. But he's not condemning wealth. But what he is doing is he's 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 providing a perspective on wealth that is certainly different than, um, you know, perhaps the natural inclination or at least maybe a natural inclination to um, look at wealth as a product of our own powers or our own merits, because he points us back to the fact that, you know, you, who, whoever it is, you who have received more, who have more resources, who are prosperous, why is that the case? So like, first of all, he's not assuming that it's just deserved. You know, he's asking these questions. Where did you, you know, what do you have and where did it come from? Who gave it to you? And why did you get more than somebody else? And these are, these are really poignant questions. I think that, that uh, it's really easy to ask of other people it's really easy to ask of billionaires for us. It's really easy to ask of the rich that we see, um, for those of us who don't consider ourselves rich. Um, but he's at, he's asking us, I think through, through his sermon, he's asking us to ask it of ourselves for whatever our resources are. And the answer is, um, it's interesting. It's not just that God gave you all of this, this stuff. So therefore you, you ought to be grateful and, and generous and recognize that it's, 
you know, a gift for you to steward. All of that's true. But but even he kind of goes a step further, I would say, and he says that you have been made a minister of God's goodness. So the very fact that you have received more resources than others, as he says, that they've been entrusted to you is particularly it's, it's a vocational task for you to be um, a minister of God's goodness. And you are a steward, not of your wealth, but of your fellow servants. So there's this responsibility, this God-given vocational responsibility that Basil is drawing from the very fact of having wealth, right? The very fact that you have X amount of resources, whatever they are, is specifically a calling from God for you to steward your fellow servants, you know, your other brothers and sisters, your neighbors, um, other fellow humans. I think it's, it's really is as general as that, um, with your resources as a ministry, right? Um, and that's a really powerful, you know, on my, as I was kind of skimming back through today and, and, and looking through the different sections, like, I think honestly on this time through, this is what stuck out to me the most is this little, this quote from this section here. Um, it's, it's quite a different, uh, way of looking at wealth and resources, even then the very Christian, very good, um, teaching that I remember hearing growing up, which, which was, was a reminder of the fact that everything we have is a gift and ought to be therefore freely given. We, you know, if we recognize that we have, have received all that we have, we're less likely to become conceited and, and kind of hold on to it and be afraid of giving it away or whatever. Um, that's true and good. And it, it, exactly what Basil's saying here, he's just going even further in a way that I think is very powerful, particularly for us living in an age where everything is so connected. Um, we've talked about that, you know, where it's, this has lots of, of, of downsides, probably more downsides than upsides, but it's technically possible for us to, with our resources, help people who live across the world, right? That wasn't possible when Basil was writing this. So there's, in some ways, even more opportunity for us to be stewards of our fellow servants with the technology that we have today. So I think it is, it is quite a powerful reframing of wealth. Um, and we're just getting started. <laughs> yeah, yeah, exactly. Yeah. I, I thought it before we got too far away, I thought I'd call out, I mean, when I was mentioning that, how, how this book has sort of helped me reframe and reshape some of my own thinking, um, he, he sort of rhetorically says, um, you know, why did the land produce abundantly when its owner had no intention of benefiting others with that abundance. Um, you know, I mean, from, from the text, that's the first line of that Luke passage is that the, the land produced abundantly. And it even seems like in scripture, uh, there's this theme of like, you know, the rich get richer, the poor get poorer. Um, and I think we can even see some of that in our own world today where, where you know, the, the wealthy, the elite, they continue to accumulate um, wealth and power. And those who are uh, poor, downtrodden, the, the low of society continue to just spiral and get lower and lower. Um, and he mentions, you know, from God comes everything beneficial, you know, fertile soil, temperate weather, plenty of seeds, cooperation of the animals, and whatever else is required for successful cultivation. Um, so if, if you're not a farmer, think of like a, a modern business, right? So from God comes everything beneficial, you know, the, the funds to even, uh, you know, kick your 
your project off the ground, the the employees who are in your control, the uh, the good fortune of a product that people want to buy, whatever it might be, like all these things in such an individualistic society, we often pat ourselves on our back and we say, you know, look at all these things that I've done. Look how successful I am. Look how, um, you know, look at my entrepreneurial skills and, and you know, f- do what I did to, to get rich. Um, but again, the, the reframing as, as Basil is saying is like, all these things come from God. You have been entrusted with all that you have. Um, and so why, wh- why does this happen? when the owner has no intention of benefiting others with that abundance. And I think that's something that a lot of us can, um, you know, can really grasp onto. Uh, I mean, the, the wealth that is in this country alone, I mean, there's obviously billionaires all over the world, but the wealth here in America is so substantial. So um, just out of this world that it, like one often even ponders the question of like, well, why don't, why? Like, who, who needs billions upon billions of dollars? Why not use that wealth um, to help people, to, to eliminate hung, hunger and homelessness and, and some of the issues that we see out in the world? So like as, as, as he progresses his argument here, um, he says, resolve to treat the things in your possession as belonging to others, which I think is a completely different mindset than most of us have. Most of us come into our, our homes you know, we, we, we leave our house, get into our car, go to our jobs, and then we come back and we take care of our kids and watch things on our couch in front of our TV or whatever it is. But uh, to reframe the conversation as saying, you know, resolve, like do, do something, resolve to treat the things in your possession as belonging to others. Um, yeah. I don't know. So I feel like there's just like every single line on every single page could be highlighted. And I mean, I have in my own copy here, dozens of notes and um, little scribbles and highlights of just like, this is, it seems so simple, but it's so different from, I think the way that we typically think. And along those same lines, he kind of, he kind of turns to look at like, so what, you know, what, like, why would we, approach wealth in the way that he's saying it as ministers of God's goodness. And he says in section three, whatever fruit of good works you bring forth, you produce for yourself. Since the grace of good works redounds to those who perform them, you gave to the poor. And in so doing, not only did you make what you gave truly your own, which is interesting, but you received back even more. So he kind of, he's, he's like, okay, you know, like I'm saying, you know, all this stuff about, about where wealth comes from and how we ought to do. And, you know, like, I'm telling you, you need to you need to be looking at your possessions as if they were your neighbor's possessions or whatever. Um, and then he kind of like almost interrupts himself to be like, and here's why you'd want to do that. You know, like here's 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 like the the, the funny thing <laughs> about um, being uh, generous, right? Here's the funny thing about not grasping onto our our wealth is that the way God works <laughs> is when you, when you, you know, it's better to give than to receive exactly because when you are faithful in good works, when you do what God has called you to do, when you, when you serve others and are generous, you are in fact, not only investing in people around you, but investing in yourself by, you know, and we can, we can think about a, a myriad of different ways that that would play out. Um, and this is exactly opposite of the, um, the vision, the sight that 
the the selfish people have he in section four he this is probably one of the more moving sections of this homily but he's talking about um people who are who are poor and in order to avoid their family starving they have to sell their children into slavery and and he talks about them you know a parent like try like this internal monologue of the parent trying to decide which child they're going to sell as a slave in order to avoid you know all of their children starving and he says that like even like you know he's describing this and he says that the people you know people who are greedy who are selfish like even this kind of a, a plight of the poor in their in their you know city or, or in their world doesn't move them because quote in everything you see gold you imagine everything as gold and then in section five he kind of like continues in this theme of like what what the selfish heart experiences and he says there's no satisfying the craving no limit to the desire is to be found um and then this kind of climaxes in section six be, but because you consider only earthly things and have made your belly into a god because you are entirely fleshly and enslaved by passions hear the fitting appellation that is given to you not by any human being but by the lord himself you fool this very night your life is being demanded of you the quote from the from the parable so we see like the 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 middle section of this homily is kind of this extended um reflection on what quote unquote the rich who he's talking to the people who are like the the rich man in the parable what their attitudes are what their vision of of their wealth and and their neighbors are um in contrast to what he says uh in section three of the, the 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 fruits and the grace of good works um is where true wealth is to be found you know kind of my my paraphrase it giving to the poor you're receiving back even more right um and and so i know i just i just i just blasted through like the middle section so i want i want to slow down before we continue but they all kind of are getting at the same thing with these right. these really vivid descriptions of um, of the poor and, and the sort of the impact of of the hoarding of wealth, but also um, these really vivid descriptions of what it's like to be that wealthy man in the parable, what it's like to how they see the world, right? And I say they, I'm not excluding myself at, by any stretch, but how the people that Basil is preaching about and against, um, how they're seeing the world and and there's some just some really strong imagery. Like I was thinking about um, there's, there's a section on where he talks about like how they wish they could, you know, like everything they could touch would turn to gold. And I'm just mm -hmm. thinking of, of Midas. And I have to, I have to wonder if, you know, the, the, the Greek legend of Midas was, was on Basil's mind. I'm um, sure. As he's picturing. And, and that is such a well-known story. And we all know the moral of that story. Right. And it's, it's, it's this moral, right. It's, it's, it's a good moral. <laughs> But um, but yeah, that was that was kind of on, on my mind is just, and just thinking about the the all the the like deformation of the person's soul who is infatuated with their wealth. You know, it's not it's it's even worse than just harming those around them, um, because it's also harming themselves in a way that's really kind of parallel to how he how helping those around you actually helps yourself as well. It's kind of an interesting. He doesn't, he doesn't, I don't believe say this explicitly, but it's kind of this interesting parallelism between both, both ways of interacting with, with wealth that kind of emerges, which is, um, like I said, just a really powerful, it really sticks in your mind. You know, it's, yeah. it's a, it's very rhetorically strong. Right. 
and I'll just share just a couple of the things that stood out since you've, you've highlighted some of this middle passage here. Um, he, he has this little segment. He's, he's just talked about, you know, how um, the fate of this person, you know, the, uh, this very night, your life is being demanded of you. Um, and so he says, do not suffer the same thing yourselves. So he's talking to whoever is receiving this homily. Um, indeed, it was for this purpose that these things were written so that we might avoid a similar fate. And then I love this line imitate the earth O mortal bear fruit as uh, bear fruit as it does do not show yourself inferior to inanimate soil after all the earth does not nurture fruit for its own enjoyment but for your benefit like man if we if we all lived that little segment out there if we imitated the earth in the fact that you know the earth produces so much goodness for us you know it's it's, it's it is obviously where we live food comes from it, shelter, all of those things. And it's not for its own selfish enjoyment and pleasure, but for, for our own. And, if, and again, it's just that, that mindset of like, love your neighbor as yourself. And that's something that in the first homily, um, which I believe is just called like, to the rich, that's also, I almost wanted to do that one for this episode, but it's a lot longer. Um, but like, that is so good. It, it's, it's good enough that I'm actually going to jump back um, he, he says in that homily that to the rich on page 43, this is just like the highlight of the entire book. Care for the needy requires the expenditure of wealth. When all share alike dispersing their possessions among themselves, they each receive a small portion of their individual needs. Thus, those who love their neighbor as themselves possess nothing more than their neighbor. Yet surely you seem to have great possessions. How else can this be but that you have preferred your own enjoyment to the consolation of the many? For the more you abound in wealth, the more you lack in love. Um, and that line right there, the more that you abound in wealth, the more that you lack in love, I think is just like it, it penetrating this entire little book, these different homilies. Um, it's cutting to the core of like our natural human sinful desire. Um, obviously, money isn't inherently a bad thing right? We, we need money to buy things. We need food. We need shelter. We recognize that our money comes from God. Ultimately, those things are going to always come from God. Uh, but when we make these things our idols, when we make them our, our gods, um, that's where we obviously are going to have problems. And to think of, I know that there's sometimes debate on like, if money is the root of all evil, or if money is a root of all evil, um, I think it doesn't really matter. The, the fact of the matter is that money is a great, great root to a lot of evil. Uh, I mean, you can think of any number of sins that are significant and severe, and you can almost always trace a root back to, to money, to, um, to wealth, to possessions. Um, and it's interesting, uh, in, the, in the fourth paragraph on page 64 of I Will Tear Down My Barns, he says, consider now the violent struggle that takes place between the desperation arising from famine and a parent's fundamental instincts. So you touched on how um, there's this almost like rhetorical, um, you know, this family that has to sell a, a child into slavery just to survive. Yet there are the wealthy who um, not only take in that child to, to work for them, but like almost laugh at the person. Um, like think about how twisted that is that, that there are people who are so wealthy um, that have so much that they could be giving but instead, they are hiring people that are at their last resort. I mean, they're resorting to selling their own children into slavery because they can't do anything else. 
um, but that that word violent in there. A lot of a lot of this conversation deals around violence, around um, mistreatment, uh, injustice, um, a lack of love, and and it really is something that's that's violent and twisted, and and I think really perverted. Um, but yeah, let's see. Uh, I'm just going to try to find one more here. Um, let's see. Did we? How? Uh, yeah. Let's see. Uh, so up through six. Let's see. Um, I don't know. Another another phrase, another sentence here that I thought was really poignant was, "If you want storehouses, you have them in the stomachs of the poor." Uh, so that idea of you know you're like in the parable, this guy who's like, "What am I going to do with all my excess?" Well, I guess I'll tear down my barn and build a bigger one. Well, the rhetorical question is, what are you going to do when that one becomes too filled? Um, so, you know, you want these storehouses, you want a place to keep your goods and your possessions, but you have them in the poor, you have them in your brothers and sisters who are needy. Um, I don't know, again, I just I feel like every single, I, I almost wanted to just like read this whole homily instead of talking about it, because it's like that good. But I don't know, curious what some of your other thoughts are here. I mean, I think I think I'll just just kind of continue to, to to see where he lands this plane, and and it's it's all you know it's along these same lines, right? Everything section seven, everything that we have is given to us by God, as as we've kind of established. Um, so the bread, this is a quote: the bread you are holding back is for the hungry; the clothes you keep put away are for the naked; the shoes that are rotting away with disuse are for those who have none; the silver you keep buried in the earth is for the needy. You are thus guilty of injustice toward as many as you might have aided and did not, which, like you said before, you, you mentioned like the thought I had was you, you said um, money's not wealth, money, resources. They're not they're not bad things. They they're a root of evil. They they become idols. And I think that for me, at least, that's a very vague statement, the way we tend to use it. But it's not vague for Basil. He's when he's like if he was 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 here. I think if if somebody said to him like, oh, you know, like, uh, you know, money. I don't want money to become an idol for me. Like, that's not some vague. You know, I have to keep some internal measurement of how much I like money versus how much I like God or something. Um, it's very concrete. The 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 concerns that Basil is raising are very literal right they're very tangible he's literally saying you don't have a place to store all your your extra grain give it to poor people whose stomachs will store it for you like that's a very like as he would say the measure of whether or not you're idolizing your money your wealth your resources the measure of that is oh you've got a bunch of grain that you can't eat sitting in a barn somewhere well you're committing injustice and we can we can i'm sure we could you know we we should go back and forth over oh you know is is he going too far or is his is you know is his language just kind of like hyperbole you know what does this mean for you know i have a savings account so that my future children can go to college or you know in case i break my arm and can't work like i don't want my family to start you know like obviously there's there's more than can be said in a single sermon to to life. But I don't want, I, I would never, I don't think it's responsible to let that soften what's being said. Because I think what, 
what needs to happen is that this needs to be a challenge, right? And that's what he's doing. And I think he's exactly right. I don't know what that necessarily means in, in every individual person's circumstances and, and, you know, specifics of their bank account or whatever. But it is worth, I think, focusing in on how tangible and practical and concrete he's being. You know, he's not just saying money is very dangerous because it might overtake your love for God. Now, don't do that. That's not very like, I don't know. I, I, I get, I get like, okay, so what if I hear that, right? But hey, your extra bread, that's for hungry people. Your extra clothes, that one really hits me. I have tons of clothes that I, that I don't wear. Um, I either can't wear, you know, that doesn't fit me right, or I don't want to wear or whatever. Um, like, what's up with that? You know, like, it, it's more than just, I don't have a lot of room in my closet. So I get annoyed. So I go through and donate a bunch of, you know, extra shirts that I don't wear anymore. Like, what I think needs to be wrestled with is, is what Basil's saying, not in no uncertain terms. And this is what is so, um, what's the word? It, it, this is what you, you can't get around when you read these sermons is Basil is saying, when I walk into my closet, that those extra shirts and sweaters that I have stacked up in baskets on top of my, in the shelf in my closet are, they're not an inconvenience. They're not insignificant, but they're actually condemning me hmm. um, as, as a sinner, as someone who is, committing injustice against the needy right and that's like if it if it makes you uncomfortable to think about well i don't want to go around saying people who have like a lot of clothes in their closet is sinning i get that i, I don't like that's you know that makes me squirm a little bit to to think about like if i was going to try and tell that to a friend you know <laughs> like like i like that 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 really does like like it it it's it really is wrestling it <laughs> it's is, not yeah. it's not a it's not a a um a cushy sermon right and which is exactly part of the importance of it that mm. i'm so glad it's been preserved for us that that and you know it's not like basil's the only person who's ever said anything like this you know or that nobody today says things like that but the point being we're talking about this very pointed conversation that basil brings through this sermon this reflection on um a parable that that I definitely overlook compared to a lot of the other parables that, that Jesus set, tells. And, and I don't know if I've, I'm sure at some point I've heard a sermon on it. I, I don't know. I've heard a lot of sermons. So <laughs> I, I tend to think that I've probably heard a sermon on, on anything that's in a gospel. It just, you know, those are pretty popular books to preach through and stuff. So I've probably heard one, but I don't remember it, you know, like, right. um, so well, the thing is, so yeah, like I don't this, know. Yeah. I feel like this is like this entire book. So these four or five homilies sort of cut against the grain of our modern thinking. I mean, I, I want people to go buy this book, pick it up, read it cover to cover and just like ponder what Basil has said here. Um, because for me in our 21st century world, uh, it, being so individualistic, being so um, even just like focused on family, like family is not a bad thing, right? Um, but there, there are people outside the four walls of the place in which you live um, giving 
of time, money, resources is more than just your simple tithe, you know, your 15% or whatever. I think we, I think as modern day Christians, we have this very like regimented, like I'm trying to, I'm struggling to find even some of the words, but we have this just very like rigid structure to how we do everything and everything's sort of like compartmentalized. So, you know, there's our work life and our home life and our church life. Uh, I'm going to give God my 15%. Uh, It's just this very like, like lowest common denominator right or, like it's just like the like the, lowest threshold yeah i'm doing like the, the the bare minimum i'm getting by you know i read i did my quiet time i prayed uh i i didn't cuss like it's just this, it's all these just like very christianese christian uh like morally sound like all these things that seem really good right um, and so that was at least what was most impactful to me as I read this book is like, I guess you you could get the impression based on what we've said that he's really only condemning the like ultra elite rich people. Um, when in reality, I think he's, he's addressing all of us. He's addressing those of us who um, maybe at least have an inclination or a tendency to desire wealth or to, to desire power or, or status of some kind as though that is the greatest thing to achieve. Um, but especially that part that I read earlier about like the more that you abound in wealth, the more that you lack in love, like, oh man, if you don't walk away, like absolutely ripped to shreds about that. Like the fact, like think about people who have billions of dollars. So the more that they've abounded to the billions there, I mean, it, it's, it probably doesn't actually work this way, but if one side went up by a billion, the other side went down by a billion. So you have like negative billion love points or whatever. <laughs> um, that's a, probably a bad way to look at it. But like, it's still that, that like, man, I remember like, I read this like at the beginning of the year for the first time. And then I just finished the book today, but I started reading it like a month ago. Um, but like each time that I read that little section of that first homily, I distinctly remember reading that for the first time, for the first time, I looked over at my wife after reading that sentence and we talked about it for like an hour. And then I could not sleep that night because I kept thinking about it. It was like that on my mind. Um, I don't know. At at this point now I'm just rambling, but like, this is all really important. This is, even if you're not super wealthy, even if you're just, I mean, I think in America, most of us are super wealthy compared to most of the world. Um, so like even me, the, the, the amount of money that I make is not very much, uh, by most American standards, but compared to probably the majority of this world, I, I make a very, uh, livable, very comfortable life. Um, and so it's even caused me to rethink some of those things. So like, even, even though I consider myself to be low on the totem pole in my own country, um, how can I still, um, be generous? How can I still give? How can I still love my neighbor as myself and truly love my neighbor uh, as myself? That's, that's sort of like, I guess where I'll leave it. Yeah. And let, let's just kind of wrap up with, with the closing sentence um, is, is a good summary of this, the closing section. Um, it says, I hope that you may escape these chastisements by making a better choice than the rich man, the, the, the one from the parable so that your own riches may become a ransom for you and you may progress toward the good things that have been prepared for us in heaven by the grace of the one who calls us all into his kingdom to whom be glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So he kind of leaves his, his flock there with a, with a challenge, right? Like the, the choice to be made, right? And to, to close, I, I guess I would just say like, 
my thoughts on kind of going through this again and thinking about it in terms of like, you know, trying to summarize what what this sermon is is saying. I think it's it's you know I'll go back to my example um, from a second ago on on just how much clothes I stack around and and don't wear. Not not on purpose. Not because I'm intentionally hoarding clothes so that other people don't have them. But the fact is, if I looked at all the money I've spent on clothes that just sit around, um, it's pretty it's pretty abysmal, you know. And what does it look like for me to wrestle with the fact that I I have hoarded a very real resource, you know? Like for us, we don't we don't live in a, a time and place where that is 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 a scarce resource, right? Clothes to wear, like if I have if I only have two pairs of shoes at, at any given time, I feel like I'm like, you know, barely making it. But there are people who don't have any shoes, you know? So like, it's, it's a little distorted because of, because of just where and when we live. Um, but I think it's a starting point, right? I think it's a starting point for me to seriously take a look at my closet and be like, what's up with this? <laughs> and examine myself and my choices and start making choices that put other people first in all things, obviously, not just clothes, but you got to start somewhere. Right. And, and I don't know, maybe, maybe that's a little different. Um, it, it's certainly different than I was sort of thinking going into having read the book before, but reviewing it for this, you know, like certainly a little different, but I think that that's kind of where I would want to leave it too, is just like, how to like, like, like we've seen what the questions are that are raised by Basil here, how to, for me, how do I think through and come to some kind of answer for those questions? And what does that look like? Mm, right? right? It's not an intellectual exercise. Like we said, this, this is, all of this is very practical, uh, concrete stuff that he's talking about. So any answers to these questions or these challenges are, are going to have to also be concrete on the ground type responses so i i don't know I, that that's that's where i'd want to leave it it's like you know for me starting in the closet going from there what do we what, what what do i what do i think about you know what do i how do i answer those challenges hmm. and go from there and then i would i would challenge everyone listening um to read the book and on the basis of that ask yourself those questions. Where, where does that, where do these exhortations and challenges, what are they pointing to in your own life? Because yeah. I, I, I believe that they're pointing to something in all of our lives. And that's going to be different for probably every person, or at least most people. Um, so yeah, I think right. that, that's, that's, that's how I want to end it. That sounds good. And we'll, we'll close with a word of prayer from the first homily titled to the rich. He says, uh, be persuaded to this by Christ, the good counselor who loves you. He became poor for us so that he might make us rich through his poverty. And he gave himself as a ransom for all. Let us either be persuaded by him because he is wise and knows all things, or let us wait patiently for him because he loves us. Or let us give to him in return, because he is our benefactor. In any case, let us do what we uh, let us do what we have been commanded, that we may become heirs of eternal life in Christ Himself, 
to whom is due glory and dominion forever and ever. Amen. So, Amen. yeah, thank you for tuning into this episode of the Doxology podcast. Uh, we hope that you enjoyed it. We hope that you are somebody who goes out, who grabs this book. If you do, let us know, tag us, tell us about it. You can do that on Twitter and Instagram at Doxology Podcast. Or if you're old fashioned, shoot us an email at doxologypodcast at gmail.com. Uh, send us those pics. Let us know how you liked the book. Were you convicted? Uh, is Basil crazy? Who knows? Let us know. We want your feedback. Uh, if you want to go above and beyond and support the Doxology Podcast, we do sell t-shirts. Uh, I have a couple ideas for new t-shirts too, uh, but you can check out the link at both of our uh, bios for those. Uh, and remember, be nice and be nice seen. Peace. See you.